Hey everyone, welcome to Infused Church. My name is Taylor, and today we're kicking off a brand new series called Relationship Vampires, where we're talking about the controlling people in our lives and how to love them in the midst of their attempts to control. So stick around to find out how. Light, lights come out there. Isn't it incredible how much you can control now from this device right here? Isn't that pretty amazing? Just in the last uh, like five years, you can control lights, you have cameras, you can even give treats to your dog and talk to your dog through the phone. Okay, we haven't gotten there personally yet. Maybe one day. Um, I, I got an advertisement on Facebook that you can control your garage door opener. I guess if you're away and you need somebody, let somebody in, you can open and close your garage from your phone. Uh, if you have kids, you can somewhat control your children from your phone uh, if you have that GPS tracking thing set up. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, uh, but you can control your spouse with your phone. I have never found more motivation than a super angry red-faced emoji sent to me from my wife. No, nobody else, just me. Okay, I'm just kidding. She hasn't sent that yet. Anyways, but that is the perfect lead-in for today's topic of relationship vampires, specifically controlling people. Because what we're going to do uh, for the next four weeks is we're going to talk about uh, a, a variety of people who are more life-taking than they are life-giving. Anybody know anybody like that? Amen. Amen. Okay, I don't see any elbowing, so that's good. <laughs> At least it's dark from up here. But um, yeah, we're going to be talking about people who take more life than they give um, when it comes to our relationships. But even in the midst of those negative relationships, we should be trying to figure out how to love those people. And so that's what we're going to try to do. Now, if you are not a Christian, the mandate to love these people is not something that you have to adhere to, okay? In fact, you can just pick and pull what you want from this series because loving people who are difficult to love is not your responsibility. That, that mandate that Jesus gave his followers um, to love God and to love our neighbor is only applicable to those people for whom are followers of, of, of Jesus. Now, this is going to be a little bit challenging, but I hope what this series will do is equip you to deal with some of the most challenging people in our lives, beginning with controlling people, okay? Now, some people in your life who are controlling or who have authority over you in whatever position that you have, leverage that control with the intent to bring you harm, okay? And for some of you, and maybe now or in your past, have been hurt physically or emotionally by controlling people. And their intent behind their control was to do just that. And, and if that is the case, this is the point where you need to walk away from those relationships. I'm just going to say that up front. But I say that because what we're going to spend the majority of time talking about, the type of controlling people that are not motivated with malice or a malicious intent. It's the type of people that are motivated by a different set of, um, of uh, characteristics, if you will. But before we get there, before I get too ahead of myself, I just want us to first acknowledge the greatest tools in the toolbox of controlling people, okay? And that is guilt and threats. Guilt and threats. Now, they could be outright guilt, outright threats, or they could be um, more subtle 
or just insinuated guilts and threats? Maybe, maybe this, some of these questions would apply to you. Have you ever felt like you're walking on eggshells around someone? Like all the time. Not just once in a while because they had a bad day, but like continuously you have to walk around like you're on eggshells for fear of that person. Or have you ever been afraid to disappoint someone? Disappoint someone. Have you ever held back information from someone for fear of what they may do in response? Have you ever felt pressured into a yes, so much so that you just had to say it to get that salesman away from you? Have you ever felt like your goodwill has ever been used or taken advantage of to enrich someone else to your cost? Has someone ever said to you, well, if you cared about me, you'd call more. You'd check in more. You'd help me with this. At the end of the day, you felt like the controlling person has used guilt and threats, outright or subtle, to essentially benefit themselves to your cost. And that is the problem with controlling people. That is the problem with guilt and threats. Because controlling people, and we have to all kind of come to agreement on this before we can move forward, controlling people act selfishly. That's their MO, if you will, to benefit them, to give attention to them, to enrich themselves, their self, to give them more influence or power in the organization or in the group, to boost their ego a little bit. They act selfishly. The self is the one that always benefits the most when it comes to a controlling individual. And some people, and you've met some of these people, some people are so good at, control, at um, communicating their selfish acts that you even think that it's maybe your decision. Like, it's up to you that they're doing it for your benefit. But really, at the end of the day, it's their selfishness. And here's the, here's the catch. Controlling people almost all of the time act selfishly to cover insecurity. Controlling people act selfishly for the self to cover their own insecurity. And this is why I say most controllers do not do so out of malice. Now, for those of us who have ever been on the receiving end of a controlling person, we tend to think it's because they're just mean people and they have malicious intent because it makes it easier for, them, for us to lash out at them, to become angry with them and justify our frustration and maybe the words that we say poorly about them because we just think that they're just downright mean. But I'm hoping that you would consider the fact that really most people's motivation, if they're trying to control, is the secret that they try to keep really close, so much so that sometimes they don't even realize it, that they're really just operating from a place of insecurity. It's like when a boss or a leader, uh, maybe you're familiar with someone like this, that doesn't know what to do or how to handle a situation, they respond with an unreasonable amount of control. To whose benefit? Their benefit. To demonstrate their control. Why? To cover the fact that they have no idea what's going on. And maybe for some of them, some leaders or some bosses, they'll, um, if they don't feel like the spotlight, like the, the intention is on them, 
they will demonstrate their control in dramatic fashion just so everybody understands that they are in control. But what are they covering for? Their insecurity. When a friend lashes out at you or another friend of yours or becomes a little manipulative, why are they doing that? You know these people. They're your friend for a reason. It's not because they're malicious. It's just they have been hurt or the, an insecurity has come to the surface or you're poking at an insecurity in their lives. And so they respond by trying to regain control because with their insecurity, they feel out of control. That's why it's an insecurity. They do not feel secure. And they, it's almost as if they have to prove to themselves, as much as it is to everyone else, that they're really okay that they're really secure, and they're not afraid. Now, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and these are the documents that chronicle the life of Jesus. You may have heard of them if you grew up in church. Over and over and over again, if you read through them, there is story after story of people trying to control Jesus, to bend them to their will, to discredit him for whose benefit? Their benefit. And it's pretty easy, if you read through it, even if you're not a Bible person, maybe you're reading the Bible for the first time, if you just skim through it, these are moments that are pretty easy to find. They're contra- confrontational moments of controlling figures acting selfishly to their own benefit, to cover their own insecurities and their own fears. However, there is one exchange in particular that I thought of when I, I was working on this message that is so easy to just skip over and not recognize the controlling figure and how they were trying to control the situation. And I think this, this particular story is so applicable to today because most of us are not in situations in which someone is blatantly trying to control us. It's much more subtle. And this is one of those situations where it's much more subtle, and so I want to dissect this situation to recognize and hopefully learn something from it, specifically to learn how do we love someone who's trying to control us in those non-outright, not blatant ways, but those subtle, behind-the-scenes kinds of ways. Now, if you want to follow along today, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16. If you brought your Bible or you got the app on your phone, you want to follow along. The story begins with Jesus hanging out with his disciples, all right? And uh, the the disciples were his 12 um, uh, friends, uh, 12 guys he taught and spent the most time with throughout his ministry. Now, there were many other people who followed Jesus, not just men, women as well, but these were the 12 that are spoken about the most and that Jesus intentionally poured into as the primary recipients of his teaching. And so one day he was explaining something to his disciples that they did not like. And I'll explain why they did not like it. And you'll probably agree this was not something that you would be excited about hearing either. It wasn't something that they wanted to hear. And so um, this is going to be in Matthew chapter 16. Matthew begins um, with this. From that time on, Jesus began to explain. So he's going to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders. And the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were the controlling people that often popped up in the stories of Jesus, in the story of Jesus, the teachers of the law, and that he must, as in have to, as in it's going to happen one way or the other, must be killed, executed, and on the third day be raised to life. Now we just have to, for a second, acknowledge 
that this is a really strange statement. Most people, most people do not predict their own execution. Most people do not declare that it must happen. And if that wasn't enough, just to wrap it all up, most people do not then say, I'm going to die and then come back to life. Okay? I mean, it's just kind of strange. If I got up here and said that, you should all leave because that is weird. Okay? And that's what Jesus is saying to his disciple. It's really strange. I mean, you want to say to Jesus, Jesus, this is so far-fetched. I'm just going to let this go in one ear and out the other. In fact, sometimes I think when we read this, we just let it go in one ear and out the other because it's just such a strange proclamation. But at the same time, come on, we've got to be honest with ourselves. If someone, someone predicts their own death and resurrection and pulls it off, maybe someone worth considering following. Just something to consider. So since Jesus hadn't yet pulled off the whole resurrection part, or has died, this is really strange to his disciples. And let me contextualize this even more so if you haven't got the strangeness of it. This is the best example I could give. It's not probably a great example, but the best example that I could give, give is imagine if tomorrow you had someone you knew pretty well that you trusted that came to you and was going to start a brand new organization, and they offered you a job, and you took that job. And that job was exceptionally meaningful. I mean, you have not found purpose in life such as you have in this particular job. In fact, you are helping hundreds, if not thousands of people every year in this job. And so you pour your heart and your soul into this job, your life into this job. And you, in fact, have to sacrifice your family and your friends and your fun time to make it happen. In fact, some of you may have even invested financially in this job. You were so passionate about it. And the CEO was truly an incredible leader. And without this leader, you don't know how this company could go on and be as successful as it was as you worked there. But then one day, the CEO comes into your office and says that they're leaving permanently. You'd be a little freaked out, wouldn't you? I mean, you've invested, you've sacrificed so much, and now the entire company, the entire organization is in jeopardy. Your life and everything you've been working for for the past few years is going to potentially just go down the train. Now, to mention, not to mention the other part of this whole thing is when the CEO said permanently leaving, he meant he was going to be executed and that you could be next. It's like, what? Why is this happening? That is what Peter and John and all the rest of the disciples are feeling at this moment. Everything we have been doing, Jesus, and now you're telling us that you have to die. You must die. Jesus, revolutions like that we feel like we're a part of right now, new things do not go well when the leader just walks off the job one day and instead into the hands of the people who hate him, who want to kill him, and let them kill him. What about us, Jesus? We've worked so hard for this. We've helped you. We've left our families. We've traveled with you. It's all just going to go down the drain. Lost to history. Sounds a little self-focused, doesn't it? And for Peter, the disciple who always spoke before he thought, 
had something to say. And in all fairness, it was probably what all the other disciples were thinking at this moment. So Peter, Matthew says, Peter took him aside, him, Jesus, aside, as in led him away from his support. Because, let's be honest, sometimes that's what controlling people do. To isolate you, they'll separate you from your support. And so Peter takes Jesus aside, and he began to, Matthew tells us, began to rebuke him. Never, never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And if you grew up in the story like I did, you sit there and you're thinking, this is probably a nice thing for someone to say. Like if somebody comes up to you and says you're gonna, uh, that, that they're dying, you probably, I mean, a nice thing to say and somewhat would be like, nah, I don't want that for you, you know? I mean, so for Peter to say this is kind of like, you know, that's a nice thing to say. I don't want that. Never do I want that, Jesus. <coughs> but what's Peter's motivation? His own insecurity and his own fear. And the fact that he could lose everything if Jesus died, including his own life. And how do I know that? Well, for two reasons. One, because otherwise Peter would have led with, hey, Jesus, why does this have to happen? Not, this is never going to happen, period. Instead, leading with the question, hey, why does this have to happen? Or, how can I help you, Jesus? Given this horrible thing that you just told me, how can I be of help? Or, and get this, this is the big one right here, is this what you want, Jesus? Not what I want, is this what you want, Jesus? It's a big difference, isn't it, between this and, oh, no, 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 that's never going to happen. A big difference. A big difference of control. A big difference of motivation. A big difference of who's really important in this conversation. And then the second reason, first reason, the second reason we know that Peter is trying to control is what Jesus says next. And it's an exceptionally well-known line. In fact, you're just going to fill in the blank for me. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. Yeah, some of you said that really timidly, okay? Get behind me, Satan, explanation point, okay? Now, I realize for some of us, okay, let's just be honest here. This is church. It's a safe place. You have always wanted to say this to the controlling people in your life, haven't you? And so we're going to do that today, okay? We're just going to let this out of our systems right now, okay? So what I want you to do is imagine the controlling figures in your life, okay? Maybe it's your in-laws, maybe it's your boss, maybe it's grandma. Let's be honest. There's some grandmas out there that are a little pushy sometimes, okay? All right? And you are just looking them dead in the eye. We're going to do this together, okay, on the count of three, and we're going to say this line, all right? Are you ready? you got to say it with gusto, okay? Ready? One, two, three. Nope, back up. Kudos for Dan. Good one. <laughs> I'm going to say this line on the count of three. <laughs> Dan's having fun back there. Okay, okay. This line. Here we go. One, two, three. Get behind. That was pretty good. A little slow. Let's do it one more time with gusto. This is your one chance to tell them, okay? Not, don't look at them, but just say it forward. Okay, here we go. Ready? One, two, three. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah. Boy, that feels good sometimes, doesn't it? Now, we're going to have to let that go because 
We're not Jesus, okay? We're going to be like Jesus. That's what Christians are supposed to do. We're supposed to become like Jesus, but we're not Jesus. And so if we say this to people, it's oftentimes going to get us more into more trouble than actually help us or draw people in to Jesus. But this phrase is really important to acknowledge what Jesus is saying here. Because Jesus is teaching the first step when it comes to loving, controlling people. And that is to say this other word that you've already seen. <laughs> and it's no. You want to say this again? We'll say it together. Here we go. All right, one, two, three. No. Okay, good job. Okay, you've said that before, though, haven't you? Okay? Because when it comes to controlling people, when it comes to, come on, when it comes to a two-year-old who's trying to control the situation, what do you say? No, right? Until 20 minutes into their rant and you give up because they've won and then you say <laughs> We're not on the same page with that one, okay? But what, you start with no. Because who, come on, who gives control to controlling people? We do. Because a controlling people, a controlling person would still be a controller, but if they have no one to control, they've lost their power. It doesn't change who they are, but it changes the authority that they have. Now granted, if you say no to a controlling person, they'll be a little upset, and they might throw a tantrum, like a two-year-old. I don't know. But as good parents know, sometimes you do not say yes to everything your, your, your children want, or your parents want, for that matter. I don't know. But, but you got to say no, because it's nearly impossible. Come on. Nearly impossible to love someone when they're controlling you. Because you're not really in control. To love someone, you have to be under your own control. To love. And that begins with saying sometimes, no. Now, you could be, you could be, if, if, if somebody tries to control you into loving them, you could be resentful, yes. You could become bitter, yes. But love's not truly possible. And so to open the door for us to love controlling people requires us to begin with saying no-ish. No-ish. And ish is because this is where it gets a little more complicated. No is really clear-cut. No is black and white, as we say. And let's be honest. It would be a lot easier to stop the message right here and say, you know what, when controlling people come up to you, you just say no and you walk away. That would be a lot easier, wouldn't it? In fact, we'd like that. In fact, you'd like it a lot more if I gave you permission to go out and just tell people instead of no, you just tell them to get behind me, Satan. It'd be a lot more fun. But Jesus is going to introduce some tension into this situation. Because Jesus, if you've been around here for a while, you know, and I talk about this a lot, that Jesus is really comfortable with tension, really comfortable with the gray of relationships and ministry. And that's where we get the ish from. Check out what Jesus says next. Jesus turns to him and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God. Instead, what do you have in mind? Merely human concerns. Because when you're in a controlling place, 
your heart is in a controlling place, what's on your mind? Your concerns. Human concerns. And Jesus is saying, hey, what concerns should be on your mind? God's. And here's the tension. And if you don't believe in God, at least hypothetically follow along with this for just a second. How did God reconcile himself to humanity? Humanity, the race that is obsessed with control. I mean, come on. There used to be a time in cars where there was just one thermostat. And if you wanted to cool down when someone else had the heat high, you had to open the what? Window, yeah. And now we have dual controls. Yeah, that should be proof enough right there. Okay, now we have rear control. And my mom got a fancy new car, and now you got control all over the place. It's confusing. You don't even know what to control to get what you want. Almost too much control. We're obsessed with control. And so often our motivation to move up in an organization or a group, to manipulate those closest to us, to tell lies or to embellish, is to what? Help us. To control the situation to our benefit. Read the Old Testament. If you grew up in church, what is the whole story of the Old Testament? Israel. They want control. They take back control from God. They get in trouble. They go back to God and say, oh, I'm sorry, God, we messed up. And then God says, no, you're forgiven. Let's try again. And then they're like, nah, nah, we want our control back. And then, and then we, God give us a king because we really want our control. And it's just back and forth, back and forth, this tension of control. And it doesn't go well. But how did God reconcile to that? He began with a no. He began with, no, that is not good, what you're doing. No, you may need to go to time out now. But, 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 I love you. And I love you so much that I'm going to send my son not to condemn you, but to forgive you and to die for you. It makes get behind me Satan seem so much easier to say compared to how God dealt with his controlling, obsessed controlling people. Jesus goes on to clarify this further, clarify the gray a little bit more. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple, another famous line, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Deny what? Themselves, yourself. And accept something else. In fact, someone else. Accept and follow Jesus. Accept and follow Jesus. And see, here's the great part of this. And I'm going to preach at you for just a second. I don't often do this, but I'm going to because this is really important. If you're following Jesus, you can amen at the end of this if you want. If you're following Jesus, you don't have time to control other people because you're too busy following Jesus. And if you're following Jesus, other people can't control you because you've already decided who you're following. Jesus. 
Other people can't control you when you already know the direction you're headed. It doesn't make you insensitive. It keeps you on the right path. So when someone tries to control you and manipulate you, you're going to say no. Not because you want to be mean, but because you know whom you are following. And let's be honest, it may not even be out loud. You may not say, you, you may not say out loud no, but you at the very least need to say no in here when someone tries to control you. And the reason I say that is because sometimes when we're in the gray, not the black and white, when we're in the gray of relationships, the messiness of relationships, it requires a little give and take. It requires sometimes a little bit of grace. And sometimes no can cut off the relationship prematurely. And so you're going to begin, though, either with no in your heart or no out loud, and then nine times out of ten, you're not going to walk away. Because that's the next thing that we do, isn't it? We just say no and we walk away. If we really want to get away from a controlling people, we just walk away. And in some cases, don't get me wrong, you need to walk away. But again, for nine out of ten times, you don't walk away if you follow Jesus. Because walking away benefits you. It's easier for you to do that, just to forgive them and move, or forget them and move on. But what did Jesus do to the controlling people in his life? He went over and he had dinner with them. And he didn't shy away from the difficult conversations. He sat down in their homes, at their tables, and ate with them. He did what he could do to love them and help them grow if they so chose to do so. Now, if you're a, not a Jesus follower, you have full permission to just say no and walk away. In fact, you have permission to say, get behind me, Satan, and walk away. But if you don't believe in God, it's hard to believe in Satan, so it just doesn't work out. But you could, just for fun, to see what happens. You can do that. But see, I think most of us really would rather care for someone than forget someone. We'd rather love someone even if they're hard to love, then walk away from them. That's what Jesus did. He would turn around and he would go meet with and talk with even the most difficult people to love. And he showed us that and exampled that and modeled that for us. And so that's what he's inviting us to do, to take up the cross. The cross that means so much. To take up that cross and begin with no-ish. To begin with no-ish. For the vast majority of situations, no-ish is where you need to begin. Maybe not allowed in your heart. And then we go right back to this. Whoever wants to be my disciple, Jesus said in Matthew. Next slide. He said, must deny themselves. Not what I want. I want to walk away, but I'm not going to walk away. I'm going to deny what I want and be here to serve them and take up the cross. And what did the cross symbolize in Christianity? What does the cross mean in Christianity? It symbolizes hope. It symbolizes love. It symbolizes transformation. 
new life, mercy, forgiveness. It signifies through Jesus, one who would come not to be served, but to serve. To wash the feet of even your betrayer. To take up that cross. And it is a heavy cross, and you and I know it is a heavy cross because it is difficult to do and to follow Jesus. Follow the man who was, as John says, the fullness of grace and truth. Truth that says, you're a controlling person, but grace that says, I forgive you, and I love you, and I'm going to listen. And I'm not going to lose track of the path that I'm on. I'm not going to lose track of whom, who my eyes are on and whom I'm following, but I'm going to be there for you. Because, come on, come on, what is at the heart of a controller's motivation? Insecurity. And I know no better place for an insecure person or insecurities in our lives than the secure love of our Heavenly Father. And so you and I can either be people who draw others, draw controlling people in to that love, example, demonstrate, model that kind of love, or we can be people who walk away and ignore, pretend we're not listening, and however else you have dealt in the past with controlling people. Essentially, Jesus' invitation is to say no-ish, but to love how God has loved us and to follow him in that difficult, difficult process. Let me pray for us. If you would, bow your heads, close your eyes. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, there are probably people in our lives that uh, as soon as I said our topic today was controlling people, their names their faces came to mind, came to our hearts. And Lord, for some of those relationships, for some of those people, you know what, we've, we've probably ignored them for so long. Those relationships, some of them probably could have just seemingly degraded beyond repair at this point. Maybe to get away from controlling people, we've moved divisions in our organization. We've found new jobs. This is a very difficult thing to, to talk about and to do. And so, Lord, my prayer for each of us this morning is that for those of us in relationships where we are being hurt emotionally and, or physically by controlling people, we walk away. And you would give us the strength to say something, an encouragement to leave, and the peace to move through that transition. But for the rest of us, probably the majority of us, who have controlling relationships in our lives that are more subtle, hinted, or insinuated at, that, Lord, we would walk into those relationships with our eyes not on the controlling person, but our eyes on you, our hearts on you, to follow you. 
and as an extension of that, be able to say no, because we know where our hearts and our minds and our eyes are at. And instead, respond to those people with the love that Jesus, that God, through His Son Jesus, has shown us. And enter into the messiness that sometimes is those relationships, the gray that is those relationships, so that we could be a light to the world, even in sometimes the darkest of situations, that we would not just compromise, not justify our way out of it, but we would lean in, step into those situations, and be Christ to whom need it the most. In your name I pray. Amen.